11.55. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. Just to keep us warm. In five minutes, it'll be the 21st of April. One hundred years ago, on the 21st of April, out on the waters around Spivey Point, a small clipper ship drew toward land. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. For a moment, they could see nothing, not a foot ahead of them. And then they saw a light. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady One, and I'm here with Chris Galza. Screen Run is the show where Chris and I explore the films of a particular artist or franchise, and in season three, we are talking about the films of John Carpenter. Here in episode four, we are discussing Carpenter's fourth film, The Fog. <laughs> Joining us to discuss this film today is Darren Lundberg of Nostalgia Cast. Hello. Hi. Good to be here. So excited to have you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Darren, your podcast is all about films we're nostalgic for, which certainly yep. applies to a lot of Carpenter work. What mm-hmm. is your history with John Carpenter and The Fog in particular? Okay. Well, I was, I was kind of sad when you asked me to be like Halloween <laughs> was like my gateway into slasher <laughs> movies and horror movies. I, I, it's not that I don't like horror movies. It's not that I don't like gore. I just, I have to be engaged. Yeah. That, that's the thing. Like, I can't watch Friday the 13th. It's not that I'm queasy. I, it's, I'm just bored by them. It's like, what is, like, I don't, I, I'm not into that. Dare them. you. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So that's controversial, right? So the same, Nightmare on Elm Street at least is a little more engaged. But, so I'd seen Friday the 13th. I'd seen some Nightmare on Elm Street. I'd seen, like, Chopping Mall and some some of the other, like, <laughs> slasher movies before I saw Halloween. And so by the time, and, you know, Halloween has, like, a reputation. So yeah. by the time I sat down to watch it, I was like, ah, I'm not going to like this. But the thing that's so beautiful about Halloween is that the widescreen compositions, it makes it feel not like a, what did they film it for? Like $750,000, but it looks <laughs> like at least a four or $5 million movie just because of that steady cam mm. and the way that everything's framed. And so just watching that, I was like, this is like, it was engaging my brain because you would like Michael Myers would not be there. It, the camera would pull back and all of a sudden he'd be in the room. And like, I didn't expect that. Or you'd see him like in the backgrounds and, just the way that the visuals presented yeah. Michael Myers, that made it more eerie to me than him just jumping out and stabbing somebody, ripping out their throat. You know what I mean? So totally. that was just, it was just the way that engaged me. I was like, this is great. This is how slasher movies should, there's an art to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that was my gateway into to horror that I could actually like this stuff and I can actually <laughs> be engaged by it. So, it could be a real movie. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, not to disparage like the hard work that everybody does. It's just I personally need my brain to be engaged or at least be, you know, intellectually stimulated. Does that sound weird? Anyway, so I, I needed that. And so Halloween did that for me. And so that's when I start, well, let me watch some other Carpenter movies. So that's when I watch Escape from New York or mm-hmm. Assault on Precinct 13 or all these. And then The Fog was one of those, you know, it, you hear rumors that it's gory. And so I don't, I don't know if I want to, especially after what Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they wrote Halloween too. I think 
even they're on record saying that they kind of cashed it in, right? Mm. And they became like clones of everything that had been cloned from Halloween with the gore. And that's why I didn't like the sequels. Because there wasn't anything in the Halloween sequels that I admired from the first one. So mm. it was like, why am I going to... So it's the same thing with The Fog. Like, it earned a reputation. And I think during the 90s, that's when I finally decided to rent it and sat... And it was the Friday night or whatever. And it's a, it's, it was a fun movie. Like, there was... I was like, oh, that was really fun and suspenseful and well shot. And, like, it was just a fun ghost story revenge movie. And so that's, you know, not a deep dive history of, of The Fog, but it's always been... Yeah. And I think I've only seen it three times. Like, I saw it that first time on video. I saw it again when I bought it on DVD, like the MGM version. And then we watched it again last night. And so watching it again last night, I just had a giant smile on my face the whole movie. <laughs> just because I, I, I like it when a movie plays with you. And you know that he's playing with you, especially yeah. the part where... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah see, there you go. <laughs> we, took him, we took him to dive off that clip already. Anyway, so... So again, that's I like being engaged like that. It, it, just, it was just fun. It, it, I think it just gets better every every time. It's not like a full on classic like Halloween, but The Fog is just a good solid scare movie. It's a yeah. good wind up toy. You know? It's so. it's a good Friday night rental for sure. Yeah, like yeah. it's got that vibe about it. Uh, so I've only seen it twice, and that <laughs> both of those times are in the last like five days as I prepared for this episode. Oh. Um, I'm not not proud. Uh, Chris, when did you first see The Fog? I, I, I don't remember. It's always I, been in your life again? Yeah, I, I think part <laughs> of it is that I always kind of dismissed it as oh. a kind of lukewarm attempt of trying to recreate like a classic ghost story when I first saw yeah. it when I was a kid. And I just always kind of struggled with it as a film. And then I revisited it a, a few years ago. And I'm like, oh, this is actually this looks pretty good, actually. You know, and once, once you you give into its story and what Carpenter's attempting to do with this, you get the background of what the whole point that him and Deborah Hill are trying to put together with this movie. And it really starts to come together, I think, really well. And revisiting it, I watched it a couple times in anticipation for today. And I did get that nice, nice uh, 4K mm. put out by mm. the uh, Scream Factory folks on this. Looks great. Sounds great. I saw uh, your tweets. Yeah, it, it's 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 got some issues. I think there's some like black crush kind of issues at times. But for the most part, uh, a top shelf transfer for a film that's what I don't want to date myself. What forty years old at this point? Yeah, forty two. Yeah. yeah. So, but still, it just really holds up after all this time. And and I think I'm able to appreciate it now as I'm a little more sophisticated in my. Listen, I love my crap. Don't get me wrong. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you I, do. Yeah, I just but still, I think it's they accomplished for the most part what they set out to do, which is funny, which I'm sure we'll talk about into the story of the creation of the fog and all the problems they ran into with it. Mm. But I think it works and it still works. I'm just kind of disappointed in myself for not appreciating and kind of getting it back in the day. And the same thing, too, with the score. I'm not going to jump Ooh. into the score corner, but I always also dismiss the score in this as a lesser carpenter. I like, mm-hmm. I like the theme, the opening kind of theme, but the rest mm-hmm. of it, I kind of just, I would just kind of, you know, dismiss. And I was entirely wrong <laughs> about that as well, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But yes. Yeah. So I, poor experience the first time, which I blame on myself. That's fair. That's, that's always a safe bet for blame, just for everybody. It, 
everybody should just blame you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, boss? What are your uh, what's your history with the fog? You're a huge fan of the 2005 version, I believe, right? Oh, man. And then- just <laughs> absolutely like obsessed with that movie. Um, no, I don't even know who's in that. You're Superman, Tom Welling. Yeah. Oh, all right. Come on. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I was like the. I got. I always kind of confuse the fog with the mist in my head. Um, they're they're both. I don't know. Pre- precipitation of sorts. I don't know. I don't know what fog is. <laughs> so I I did not it's that have that weather movie. You don't know. There's <laughs> several of them. So I was I was coming to this brand new. But for anybody who doesn't know what the fog is as a film, not the weather phenomenon, <laughs> um, it is a ghost story. It tells the tale of two spooky nights in a small town on the coast of California as murderous ghosts return for revenge after being killed by the town founders a hundred years before. So we can talk just a little bit about how the film kind of came to be. So Halloween was a success, which is a surprise to John Carpenter because he had initially thought it flopped. And uh, he was offered a two-picture deal with Avco Embassy. So he was going to work with Deborah Hill again. They wanted to do another horror movie, scary movie. They didn't want to do a slasher, though. So they ended up landing on doing a kind of traditional ghost story. And this was partially based on a trip they took to the UK. They were at Stonehenge and there was some, you know, creepy fog out in the distance and the way they recall it is like, what do you think is in that fog? Ghosts. <laughs> it was just like, okay, and now that's a movie. So between that and like an actual kind of ghost story about uh, lepers being killed by town founders that John Carpenter had heard, that is how we get the story of the fog. I think what's kind of more important and maybe more substantial than the story though is what this movie looks like. So Dean Cundy, once again, is our cinematographer. And uh, what do you guys think about how he shot this movie and the the tricks they did to make the fog work on command? Yeah, Darren, what you got? <laughs> well, I don't know. I was thinking about it last night. Dean Cundy, I know he worked on Jurassic Park and Hook and you worked for Spielberg and things like that. And I know. But then other movies that Dean Cundy has done, like it, it's not quite like as what women as- want. Yeah, something like that. It, it's not impressive. I, I think it just depends on the director and how the director engages him. There's a lot of great shots of Jurassic Park that I, that I always remember. I think that's a lot of that has to do with Spielberg kind of maybe engaging Cundy's brain. And mm. It's the same thing like I talked about with the Steadicam and Halloween here. It's some of these the, – the idea was Carpenter, I guess, didn't want it to look like a low-budget movie. So the Steadicam that worked before <laughs> were to work again. And just mm-hmm. the way that the – I turned to my wife like a quarter of the way through and I'm like, I don't think any horror director has mastered the use of the widescreen frame here like Carpenter and Cundy because there's, I mean, there's a shot like in the, the, the quickie mart or whatever they are where it's, or you, you can see both sides of the yeah. store or there's a part where you see like uh, uh, Stevie's a kid. I can't remember the kid's name. No. Um, but, anyways, you see, and, but then you see the babysitter coming on the other side and I was like, wow, you can see both of that. And so, but also, too, the way that you would see the fog in the background, you would yeah. see, like, the lepers pop up in the background. Oh, um, so it got scary. a it got a, a noise out of my wife at the end when it's Stevie up on the steeple or whatever, and she's mm-hmm. trying to get away from that one leper, but then the other one appears behind her. Like, she gasped, yeah. and I was like, that's cool. Like, you wouldn't – or even the part where Janet Lee's character goes in to see Father Malone and Hal Holbrook pops out of the sh- – you didn't even see him. It was like, wow, this, 
they're yeah. really using the shadows and everything just just beautifully. It sets such a beautiful mood. I, I don't know if Dean Cundy has been this spectacular with any other filmmaker. Yeah, it's it's so pretty is not a good enough word for it, but I need mm. to make sure like the beauty of it is understood beyond just how well it serves the story. There is yeah. the one shot where Stevie is walking down the stairs towards the lighthouse. I, I literally paused the movie, took a screenshot on my computer and was like, I'm going to make this my background because this looks so cool. Like the composition of the frame, like it's just like it's art. <laughs> I know that's obvious, but it, like it it looked so amazing that I, I literally had to stop the movie to appreciate the shot. It's elegant. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. Chris, do, did you like the pretty pictures? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even just make it my screen background. I sent them to be printed and framed. Stop and it. And I'm going to do all... Yeah, of course. No, no. <laughs> I believe you. That was so exciting. Well, I, no, well, listen, it does It does look great. I know he, the carpenter uses some great little tricks, too. He, he does some... He runs some stuff backwards, right? Because they had issues yeah. with the fog itself. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a couple shots that are run backwards to make it look like it's coming at you or moving because a big or moving up because a lot of times it would just drop or it would mm-hmm. kind of fade out, whatever the case may be. But I think the big thing about Carpenter, I think you get a real feel for it, even more so, I think, than in Halloween, is just how economical he is as a director. He never yeah. gets flashy. He's very workmanlike. He's very confident. He knows the shots he wants to take. He knows how he wants things to look. And I think that's kind of he got what from Howard Hawks, right? Which is his his, uh, mm-hmm. his idol, basically. Yeah. yeah. So he just has a plan and he sticks to it, which I think is good. But I think one of the key things, one of the key successes for uh, Cundy and Carpenter in his film is how they're able to make this town feel isolated. Oh, it yeah. feels completely cut off from the rest of civilization, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some yeah. kind of like, and then there's this apocalyptic event that comes to this town, and you just you feel like there's no escape, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that's one of the big successes of how this film is shot is you feel like you're marooned here, mm-hmm. uh, and you're just not going to make it out. And there's nowhere to go, and I think that's really a testament to our the success of the film. Yeah. There's an atmosphere that they create. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For that first, like, what, half hour where all the paranormal stuff is happening, it's like they're really setting a mood, like, for, like, how eerie we want everything. And then, Chris, just like you said, it's like, I agree with that. It's, it feels like these are the last people on Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's nobody, there's, they're so secluded. And, you know, talking about, like, the remake mm-hmm. and everything, the remake feels plastic compared to this. This feels like... Your, the way that it's shot and the way that it's just how do you how do you do that? That's amazing. Just the way that they they built that atmosphere, it feels like we're actually in this town. It feels like we're actually on that trawler, and so that remake doesn't do that at all. Yeah, I, and, and I agree with you too. I think the film is entirely atmosphere, and it makes me mm-hmm. wish I could see like the work print of this. So I don't, well, I don't know if you want to get into that at all, mm-hmm. but the original version of the film and what happened and what they did. Ooh. Yeah. Do you want to kind of start us off there? Cause I've got, I've got supplementary notes for that. Well, so basically they have this rough cut of the film that they show to the cast crew, some other people too. And, mm-hmm. and Carpenter's watching this thing. And, and, and so is, is uh Tommy Lee Wallace and, you know, a bunch of people. And they're like, this, this doesn't work. It just <clears throat> doesn't work. And, and they figured part of the issue was that the modern audiences 
need a little more violence, a little more gore, a little more mm-hmm. heft in the scares. I guess the big problem is originally people would just kind of be enveloped and sucked into the fog and then disappear. And that's what happened. But the big problem they ran into, right, is I guess that Scanners came out the same year. And you have yeah. Cronenberg <laughs> just amping the gore up to 11. <laughs> and they just were concerned that it just wasn't going to work for modern audiences. Mm-hmm. So first off, what they do is almost all the stuff you see in the opening of the film is reshoots. Yeah. yeah. Because he's Carpenter's working to set the mood and really amp up the creepy factor. And just like you said, they're in the atmosphere of everything. Mm-hmm. And then... They also introduce they, they they bring in more pirate ghosts, more violence, more gore. They had like that shot of the uh, what worm face, I guess they call mm-hmm. them, right? They yeah. do all these other things to kind of just amp up the scares and the gore, so it's not so much this ethereal kind of subtle ghost story. It's more of a traditional eighties horror film. Yeah, when I found out that that basically like the cold open of the boat captain telling the spooky story uh, was added after essentially for reshoots. It's like, how could the movie start without this? Like I need, I need I the ghost that story. was always in it. Uh-uh. That, that they added. Did they throw the ghost story? With the yeah. That they added in particular because there was not enough runtime. This movie that. was too short. But I mean, so I like how Carpenter telegraphs, from the opening of the film, that this yeah. is going to be a ghost story. Yeah. yeah. Having people literally around a campfire yes. telling a ghost story. Yeah. 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 I I really, really like that setup, as basic as it might be, just literally sitting around a campfire telling a ghost story. It's It sets the mood and like watching like this little kid be so afraid of the story. You're like, oh, that's me. I am this little kid who's about to be so afraid of this ghost story. So I I love that setup to the to the film and how it starts. Even uh, sorry, even having the kid there. Oh yeah, that's your son. Like Stevie is there, and so he's baked into the the movie even before we. So it's it's weird thinking that as a reshoot because it's so well integrated. It's, it's yeah, it, like it feels like they planned it from the beginning. Mm. Uh, it's weird to think of the movie without that. Yeah, I I can't imagine it without it. I think it it sets the tone perfectly. Because this story is relatively simple, I'm just going to kind of kind of walk us through the story of the movie and we can kind of talk about things chronologically. Um, so I think, Chris, you already mentioned that we get our uh, Carpenter cameo in the church. Yep. Can I get paid, Father? Um, which I immediately laughed at. And I was like, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to be laughing at this movie. And I do. I honestly like laughed throughout the entire movie. Not like comedy laughs, but little chuckles here and there because it's just it's got like a very realistic script like the jokes are jokes that real humans would make to each other not like tip-top comedy writers putting bits in it feels yeah it feels like real life okay so what lies beneath or whatever when you find out who the villain is at that one it's michelle pfeiffer walking backwards down this and you see her feet step by step and it's it's awesome because you're like uh, something's gonna grab her feet like you're you're obviously playing with me or the part in the others where nicole kidman i think she goes into a room and like all the the mannequins are covered in white sheets Mm -hmm. and she's looking for a goat and i started cackling at that because i'm like this is fun like they're they're playing (laughs) and i think it's the same thing here it's like you can you can feel that they're having fun just toying with you and so that's that's why i was cackling like for the whole movie it's just so well done yeah, there there's so many moments where you're just like laughing out of like just nerves. But for that in particular, I just thought it was funny that he's like, 
uh, can you pay me? <laughs> and then he's like, why don't you come a little later? I'll leave a little earlier. <laughs> like, you're not getting paid, bro. It's not going to happen. I hope you know this. So I just thought, like, it's just in a very subtle way setting the scene of, like, who this priest is. Like, he's the guy who, when you directly ask him if you can be paid for your work, he dodges the sentence or dodges the question. <laughs> like, that's who he is. I also like, too, that I don't know if I watched this with the commentary and Carpenter was talking Ooh. about that scene. And he goes, here is my first and last performance in the film. <laughs> I am basically saying like I am horrible in this. Oh, no. watching, watching not at this, all. Yeah, watching the playback, he said I decided I'm never going to act another one of my films Aww. ever again. <laughs> well, he was so I thought he was ego. fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I too, I want to compliment Carpenter on his humility and insight to watch sure. the work print of this and say, oh, we got a problem, mm. and to have that ability to kind of say, all right, let's let's fix this, let's clean this up, let's punch it up, whatever the case may be. <laughs> Uh, that is if only George impressive. Lucas would learn that. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be living in a different world. Oh, my God. <sighs> All right. All right. So you're as, sitting there. You're laughing at the fog. Go ahead. Continue. Yes. I, uh, I'm just absolutely falling over laughing at precipitation, if that is what it is. I don't I still don't know what fog is. Uh <laughs> Then uh, J.B. Lee Curtis is back. She's back again in this movie. She's our delightful hitchhiker, Elizabeth. Listen, I never hitchhiked before. I just really want to be careful. Can I ask you something? Sure. Are you weird? Yes, I am. Yes, I am weird. You are weird. Yes. You're weird. Thank God. <laughs> the last ride I had was so normal, it was disgusting. You picked me up in Santa Barbara. By the time we got to Carmel, he wanted to marry me. Oh, yeah. I thought you never hitchhiked before. Not before last week. You're my... 13th ride. Oh, great. Weird and unlucky. We'll see. We'll see indeed. Tom Atkins. <laughs> Getting very lucky. Pimp. I am, I have always been on the Tom Atkins train. I am a booster of this man. One of my favorite <laughs> horror films, unabashedly. And I'm not a Johnny come lately. I have loved Halloween 3 my entire life. All right. And I love me some Tom At Night of the Creeps. I mean, I just, I'm a big fan. Mm. Now, I will say it's uncomfortable. Watching him without a mustache, I will be perfectly <laughs> honest about that. But I don't, th I can't, and then it's kind of hard to say this because it sounds like you're kind of dragging him a bit. But when you see Tom Atkins pulling ladies like Jamie Lee Curtis, like in all these, <laughs> all these films, he is able to spend some sexy time with some beautiful women. So good on Tommy. Well, that's uh, the note. Yeah. That's the note that I have here. I was like, ah, yes, my favorite movie trope, Tom Atkins, sex god. That's right. <laughs> no, no, he's the. I got in trouble for it because I guess I don't know the whole history of porn stars. But I wrote on Twitter like he's he's the Ron Jeremy of horror movies. Just oh, like yeah. you see Tom time. Atkins and you're like, oh, like I if if he can get a lady, I can get a lady. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. It's just it's inexplicable, especially in Halloween three, where it's like, wow, why is every woman hanging on this guy, <laughs> this slob? I don't know. It's just funny. Hey. <laughs> we will not disparage Tom Atkins. In any He's past. weird. <laughs> he is That's weird. what the ladies want. And he gets the ladies. So, yeah, yeah you do what you do, Tom Atkins. 
And yeah. it's, just, it's just his first appearance in a Carpenter film. But I like, too, is that he's doing lots of horrible things. He's picking up hitchhikers. He's yeah. drinking and driving. Drinking and driving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Immediately. But he is sharing, and that's nice. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 Good old oh. Tommy. <laughs> There's the part where he's on the trawler and he finds like his buddy's like beer can. I'm like, don't drink that, man. Don't drink it. <laughs> and, but he, he like pours it in his in his hand and still licks it. I was like, yeah, that figures. Just just gotta check. Just gotta check. Yeah. So I I love their their meet cute. I think it's it's hilarious and adorable. As we are seeing the town throughout this opening, we hear the sexy voice of uh, Stevie Wynn, your nightlight. Uh, played by Adrian Barbeau, who was married to John Carpenter at the time. And I really love how we, you know, we've heard her voice for the first couple minutes. And then we finally see her at the microphone. And then we watch her as she's doing her radio broadcast, kind of remove the facade of the sexy nightlight voice. And I love like the physical performance that is like, yeah. all right, I don't have to be that anymore. And I just, I love that moment. I was like, because I, I went in totally cold, so I'm hearing, like, sexy radio lady. And I'm like, really? That's what this movie has, a sexy radio lady? And then it's like, no, this movie has a lady who has to be sexy on the radio. But she's, like, an actual human being. So I was very happy with that. I, I love that scene. It was a great introduction to Barbo's character, I think. Yeah, her physical performance, though, that you just it's very Christopher Reeve as Superman. Yeah, you, you yeah. see her change and everything. But I still like how she flirts with the uh, what is it, the Charles Cyphers character or whatever. What what was he had a he had a funny name? Dan. Yeah, what, he's Dan, Dan O'Bannon. O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I kept writing all these things. Oh, that's a that's an Easter egg. That's an Easter. Egg. Anyway, but yeah. he's able to flirt with her, but she's able to flirt back in a, in a way that seems safe and not scuzzy. Like you could tell they're yeah. friends and they're playing with each other. I like that yeah. dynamic too. Very well set up. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the the setup with them too. Um, I, I know I said before that I confused this kind of in my head with The Mist, but even going through this, I was definitely getting Stephen King vibes from the story, the way like the town deserves an attack because of like its terrible history. But obviously it could not be because this is on the California coast and not the coast of Maine. So could never, <laughs> could never be a Stephen King story. We do finally get to see uh, our ghost attack starts the first reveal of the leper ghosts are fucking terrifying hmm. um <laughs> i'm just gonna say it. the way they're like backlit in the fog is so scary like it is old school scary and like i was watching it at night in the dark and i was freaked out like legitimately it just looked so cool when we first get to see them the way they they're so slow moving and you just you don't see too much it's um it's like really menacing but it's it's beautiful too that's the note mm-hmm. that i had i was like this is gorgeous yeah <laughs> even though it's like eerie i'm like look at the way that that is framed and look at the yeah. especially when you have uh what what is it again it's um nick castle is is <laughs> tom atkins's name <laughs> anyway so when you're looking at the 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 silhouette in the door like that, that was yeah. very well framed it's very eerie but you're right it's it's chilling and it's scary but it's like wow that's that's so gorgeous to look at. Like, how are they doing this? How are they yeah. like <laughs> frightening me and let and and stimulating me at the same time? <laughs> Stimulation is weird. <laughs> yeah. So we we see our our ghosts kill the guys on the boat. We cut back to where Jamie Lee has gotten down with her uh, 
her her new weird friend and then they introduce each each other like and then they exchange names afterwards i love it Ugh. um like say the late 70s early 80s <laughs> pre-aids was just a different world <laughs> after they escape the uh presumed ghost knock on the door we get to the next morning and we have adrian barbeau's little kid whose name i don't know it's and andy i think andy okay he feels like an andy um he wakes her up in the morning. She's been on the radio late at night. And I just, I immediately was laughing again at how she's laying in bed. And she's like, I love you, but sometimes you're a real pain. And that is how I feel when my dogs wake me up before <laughs> my alarm goes off. It's just like, why? I, but I love you, but why are you doing this to me? Um, again, it just feels like a real moment. Like the script is so realistic, which is a crazy thing to say about a ghost story where there's, lepers from a hundred years ago in the fog but like the script feels real all of the dialogue feels completely realistic to what people would actually be saying and in, in all of these situations as bizarre as they are but it, it's never in broad strokes either that's that's what i thought was impressive like the, yeah. the clip that we just played about are you weird it's a very human moment that disarms you <laughs> as a movie watcher you're yeah. like oh these are actually funny people with a yeah. sense of humor and the way that she it's again, it's just little teeny bits. There's no like slapping you in the face with how real it is. Like, like you just mentioned, like, yeah, that was, that was neat. It was, it really sold their relationship just with one sentence. And so mm-hmm. just very, the simplistic writing, I think doesn't get enough uh, attention maybe, but yeah, very, again, another, another way of establishing atmosphere. That's impressive. Yeah. A scary ghost story at midnight where a strange man picks up a young hitchhiker in the dark. And yet it is immediately, diffused by the way they like start chatting with each other it gets scary again but it takes your expectations of like oh oh no what's happening she's getting picked up in the middle of the night and no it's not that it's not that that's coming later so it really is kind of a bait and switch on when the scares are going to happen which i really appreciate throughout this movie so we continue on through the town and we meet uh mrs williams who's playing mrs williams chris the Janet Lee, mother of Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> you may know her from Psycho, some other mm. stuff. Touch of Evil, little movies. Mm. Mm. <laughs> A thing or two. Um, and she's there with her assistant, Sandy. Who's playing Sandy, Chris? One Nancy Loomis. What? <laughs> she's she's so cute in this too. Like I was just, it's it's nice seeing her as like dressed as an adult. <laughs> I don't I don't know like because seeing her dress as like a high schooler in Halloween and just her nasally voice it was like she's playing an assistant and she's I don't know I thought she was a quipster and she was good at, at, at giving those like quick one liners and so I don't know it was nice yeah. having her there <laughs> I I love those two the, the like the dynamic between those two really just felt like this is kind of a weird thing but it made me feel like I was watching Parks and Rec and like those two were like Leslie Nope and April Ludgate for me it was just like like she's just walking through all of her stuff and then she's like and then I will go home and pass out and that sounds like a Leslie Nope line like that Mm -hmm. sounds like it and the way she's like Sandy you're the only one I know who can make yes ma'am sound like screw you like (laughs) the response of yes ma'am that is April like that is what I was getting from them and then like her even Nancy Loomis again with when they go to the church when they ask the the preacher if he's going to give the benediction tonight and then he's just ominously Antonio Bay has a curse on it she's like should we take that as a no <laughs> like <laughs> like this is yeah. so funny well that's that's part of like that 
his because his whole thing was he was a big fan of what the EC comics right tells yeah. from the yes. vault of horror, and there was kind of always an underlying tone in a lot of those stories of a uh, not just revenge and death and murder and horror, but there's also yeah. some humor that ran through that whole stuff too. So yeah, yeah, I think you have to have a certain amount of humor when you're presenting something scary like this. You need the release valve. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, well, I don't know if we've uh, gotten there yet, but the part where they're on the boat and like uh, what Castle and Elizabeth are, are talking and you see like the handle on the, the little cabinet behind them start to move uh-huh. and then it just comes open and there's stuff. But then what does Elizabeth say? She says like, I can I go to Vancouver now? And then that's when the body pops up. And I thought, well, that's kind of like in Jaws, you know, like, come up, you know, come down here and chum some of this shit. And then you see like the shark <laughs> pop out. I was like, that's, yeah. that's a cool way to disarm you with humor. And then you have the scare that they get you because you're disarmed. So, yeah. so, so well, so well structured. It's, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. incredible. Definitely a tough line to walk. And I think they do it, do it really well. I, I jumped when the body falls out on top of her and just her reaction to it again like we kn- we know she's good at this but it just <laughs> she's killing it she's just screaming in the perfect way that feels real but not overacting like it doesn't feel performative at all even though it is purely performative she nails it again and the whole idea of like these victims being like they're drowned but they weren't drowned I don't know why that is so cool to me. It creates like this weird mystery. To, uh, like, and just drowning in general is very scary. But the idea that that's not what happened to them, but that's what the evidence shows is just. Hmm. Uh, it's so it's so strange, but I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. No, So two points about that. So I guess the boat scare originally is one of the things they reshot. Well, I guess the first <laughs> time it didn't work. Oh. It wasn't scary. So I think they added the fake scare oh, right gotcha thing, and then they brought in the so second when the body actually drops so <sighs> good yeah but I, I i did write down i like how this is structured like a mystery like they're trying to figure out why the bodies are like this mm. they're trying to figure out where the bodies have gone like they're all trying to piece it together and they all i, I think they all kind of work together to be able to find what the the secret is like the the, the priest has a he a piece of the yeah, puzzle like, he's got a piece yeah. And they're they're figuring out. So again, it's it's not just cheap gore like jumping out and scaring. You. Everything's just it's it's like I mentioned. It's a wind up toy. It's a well structured machine. It's interesting because they shot the gore stuff afterwards, right? Because it mm-hmm. didn't work. Yeah. But the how it still feels seamless and part of the original film, and not like oh crap, we gotta we gotta jazz us up a bit. Mm-hmm. I think is a success of the film. It doesn't feel tacked on. Yeah. Right, which I think is good. And the other thing I would I wanted to say is one logic point that I struggle with that I don't get <laughs> is the I have the body in the morgue that comes yeah. back to life to then just collapse in right what like a six into the ground three. is that what it is three a three a three because there's only three three deaths that have, have to go yeah yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't get that outside of just <laughs> moving the mystery part Darren as you said forward I yeah. I don't get that part. But. <laughs> well, that was also part of a reshoot, right? Yes. And yes. So, that so, whole scene was added. To I guess it. initially, too, they say from the beginning, six people are going to die. From the, in the original version of the work print, you know it's six people. And yeah. that, that doesn't get revealed until like a little later in the movie. Oh. But wow. then, then Carpenter realized, he says, oh, well, then people are just going to be counting bodies and just yeah. waiting. And they're going to know 
like everybody at the church. All right, well, I know only one person is yet left to die, so I know it's not going to be this person, you know? So Mm -hmm. they kind of, they tried to make that a little more elusive as well by not revealing it so early in the film as they originally did. I still feel like, for me, I understood that from when Stevie brings the board in to the radio station. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, okay, so... So three people so far and three more people are going to die. Cause I was like, Oh, I thought they were going to kill the whole town. Like, I don't know why they only need to kill six. So for me, I, that's kind of didn't work for me Mm -hmm. just in general for the movie. Because first of all, you immediately killed 50% in, in like the opening. Like we already knocked those dudes out and I didn't know them at all. So, you know, it was cool, but, uh, especially the friend who was like after the first two on the, the boat that was way scarier but but yeah like now you're gonna tell me okay six must die and then (laughs) that like you said that dead body inexplicably comes back to life just to remind you of the body count so far it's like we've we've had three um i don't know if he's saying three people have died or three people are left to die because of where we fall in that count but i was still like that's it it's only three okay that's that's not a lot of people who are gonna die in this movie in a way, it kind of makes – so, sorry, I'm going to have tangents here. The thing that makes Halloween <laughs> so so scary in a way is that you don't know what Michael Myers is up to. There's never sure. an explanation. And that's why it kind of kills it in the second yeah. one where they tell you it's the sister. It's like, oh, well, that just yeah. removes like 70% of why this is scary. I'm not scared mm-hmm. of this guy anymore. It's like finding out that the shark in Jaws is like tar- trying to target the Brodies. It's like, well, <laughs> if I'm not related to the Brodies, I don't have to then worry I'm about it. It's so dumb. <laughs> That's but, part four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's just like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's weird. Anyway. <laughs> but like, stalks her down to what, yeah. Yeah. or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 it the, unlike Halloween, though, at the end when Michael Myers disappears and it, it ends on those shots of just every place that he's been, right? Yeah. And it, it gives you an eerie feeling like, is was he there? Was it just, was he an actual person or was it like a warning or something? like? So when you leave Halloween, you're like, he could be anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it terrifying. The thing is the same thing. It's like it could be oh, anywhere. No. Yeah. So yeah. I think that the my main issue with the fog is that it feels safe. Like there's mm-hmm. a countdown of the body. So as soon as mm-hmm. the last body is, you're like, well, I don't have to be scared of these guys. Even though the movie does a good job of, of making you feel scared in the moment when it's over, you're kind of able to sleep better <laughs> because yeah. they've already killed their they, six. They've done what they set set out to do. Yeah. There's no. It's not like the fog's going to come back again, and this is going to happen all over. Like they're they're like, no, oh, we're cool now, Antonio right. Bay. We're cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, but how great was that last death though? When it cuts oh, the yeah. black, and you just awesome. And I think the whole film has some great sound design. But that oh yeah, splorch. Yeah. What you know? What he <laughs> decapitates Hal Holbrook. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> it's it great. Well, if I yeah. can mention just really quickly, like, I know they went and shot the gore, but this is not gory-like at all. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, even the stuff they added, it's still, like, a PG-13 kind of gory. Even to the part where you talked about you see, like, the wormy faces, what I loved is that even though they did go back and shoot the gore, it still feels organic. Like, they're still hiding mm-hmm. things. They yeah. they hint at what they look like. Like, the EC comics, we see the zombies' faces. When you just see that 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 leopard turned for a second, you see the worms, it gives you a hint of what they look like. And that's mm-hmm. so much scarier than having showing their faces for the whole time. It, it, so it's, yeah. Oh, e- yeah. even though they added the gore, it's still very suggestive in that Halloween way. So I, I still think it works beautifully, beautifully from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no doubt this would have been PG 13 if that, 
existed at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from what I read, they were hoping for a PG rating, uh, but you know that did not happen. Um, Man, it's still I rated just, R. I want which to is... see that work print. I, <laughs> put that out with some kind of bonus feature yeah. or something like that. I, it would just be How interesting tame. to see it. Right. Yeah. There's yeah, no language. There's no sex. There's no nudity in here. It's just there's a few gory parts. Even the, the guy with his missing eyes, they more tell you about it than show you. They don't flat yeah. out. Yeah. You have to wait till Halloween 3 to see Tom Atkins' ass. So Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> And that's the Tommy Lee Wallace effect, not the John Carpenter effect. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I I mean, I know that Deborah Hill said that she wanted, she didn't want to go over the top with the gore. She, she, in her opinion, thinks things are scarier the less you see, the less you know, kind of the more ambiguous it is. And, and I have to agree with that. But, you know, it was a lot of like the contact with the weapons were like the additional ads of like, okay, it's not just a sound and then a person drops. It's let's watch the, you know, hook go through somebody, even though there's no blood, it's really not bloody. It's just sort of like sharp things going into soft bodies. <laughs> I wonder if that was part of my issue with when I first watched it. Cause I, my f- first four really into horror would be stuff like evil dead. Yeah. Or uh, then I got deep into the Italian horror stuff, which is very gory or full cheese, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I watched The Fog, and I feel like this is actually kind of tame. Yeah, and you're I, like, I what is this, for part babies? Of yeah. <laughs> well, it's like Halloween ends after Halloween kills. Right. <laughs> okay, this is not integral to the plot at all, but Stevie's car is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i believe that is it. that's a volkswagen that was referred to as the thing so that's fun yeah yeah look at that that's that's not <laughs> possibly an easter egg but i'm gonna i'm gonna i like it cool um she's just stevie is so cool so i really i enjoyed her character overall throughout this um well i guess she was supposed to kind of be the focal point of the film right she was yeah. supposed to be the star but it it feels much more like an ensemble piece. Yeah. yeah. And the marketing especially was heavily featuring Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. After the success of Halloween, that was that was what they wanted to make sure people got from the poster was let's let's show let's show her there mm-hmm. trying to keep keep the ghosts out. So the movie only cost a million dollars to make. After the reshoots, right? Yeah, um, I want to say the the production company though spent like three times that on advertising and promotion, which is like nowadays it's normally twice your budget is what will get spent on promotion. But this was forty years ago, and they spent three times the production budget on advertising and promotion. And I was reading about it; they even installed fog machines at some movie theaters, mm. which I think is so cool. Like, just had the fog going in the lobby of the the theater. Mm-hmm. I think we've we've alluded to it a handful of times now. And now that we're on episode four, we can fully get into this. Um, let's discuss all of how John Carpenter can't come up with names for characters. <laughs> he, he hates it. He, <laughs> he says it on the commentary. He's like, I, I hate this. I, I don't yeah. like doing this at all. <laughs> it is it is very funny to me that it's just like, <laughs> what's your name? Nick Castle. Okay. That's a guy he knows. Um so just to kind of recap them all and correct me if I'm missing any. So Nancy Loomis was in Assault on Precinct 13 as well as Halloween in the Fog. Donald Pleasance plays Dr. Loomis in Halloween. 
Nick Castle played the shape in Halloween. That's the name of our character played by Tom Atkins. The weatherman is Dan O'Bannon, who is Carpenter's college collaborator. Obviously, is the reason why we had season two of Screen Run with the original Alien story. Uh, Tommy Wallace is one of the first victims on the boat. That's Carpenter's collaborator, who's the art director on Dark Star and editor for Halloween in the Fog. And then I have a little bit of like a bonus one is Mrs. Corbett's, the uh, babysitter, was probably named after Richard or Cobritz, uh, Richard Cobritz. Uh, Carpenter's producer on Someone's Watching Me. Hmm. Did I get them all? Am I missing more? I assume there will be more as this season goes on. But... Well, there's a Dr. Fibes, who's the the, uh, the, I, what, the the guy that takes care of the dead bodies. Gosh dang it, I get old and I forget. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, the Morgan. The, Mor- the Morgan. What do they call Yeah, his the name mortician? is... Mortician. Yeah, the Mortician, there you go. Mortician. Or his name is Dr. Fibes after the Vincent Price horror movies. Oh, there you go. So I like yeah. you're missing a big one. I'm I'm very disappointed. What is it? What is it, Chris? This John is why Carpenter's you're here. character. Ben Tramer. Oh yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Well they don't they don't say his last name. They they call him Bennett, right? I, I don't know if they say his last you see his last name in like the cast list on Wikipedia. Yeah, somewhere. I think it's in yeah. the credits, but they don't say it. But yeah, that's yeah. uh that's an Easter egg. That's that's the proper recognition <laughs> of an Easter egg. But yeah. yeah. Um this is very amusing to me that he's just like looking around and like, that's the name of this character who's over there. This is like, there's so much creativity and yet cannot think of a fake name. Like, yeah. The other one too, what I didn't know, I just found out when I was researching stuff was John Houseman's character was Mr. Was it Mr. Machen, mm-hmm. which is like a Welsh horror writer oh. type yeah. guy. Oh yeah. We didn't, we didn't actually talk about it in the Halloween episode, but Michael Myers was the name of the producer on Assault on Precinct 13. Right. So he, he couldn't even do that with like the big, <laughs> the big name that like would forever be known from his movies. He was just like that guy. Um, I still can't believe I went almost on my entire life until that episode, not knowing that Michael Myers his middle name was Audrey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, where did that come from? <laughs> you can see why I wanted to kill some yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why he killed. That would make me angry too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else from the the movie itself that we should talk about before we dive into the score corner? I absolutely. First, this is his first yes. collaboration with Buck Flowers, who's a okay. great character actor. But I think that really the big core thing is the introduction here to Carpenter of Rob Bottin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. who does a lot of practical effects uh, on the film, with, dealing with the fog, who ended up becoming basically a legendary figure in the special effects world, does all the practical effects outside of, I guess, Stan Winston came in for some stuff on the thing because Botine, what, almost killed himself yeah. working on the thing. But the man's a legend. And to kind of see his stuff, he's the guy that did the uh, warm face guy. He did, mm. and it just, it's nice to see. And he, I guess he played um, a, a character too. He was, he was Blake. Like, yeah. I think it's one of the boat guys, oh. right? Um, the main guy. Yeah, the main yeah. leper, right? He's like the head ghost. Yep. Yeah. Head ghost in charge. And I love, too, how they did that with the uh, the red eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is basically <laughs> just... So cool. <laughs> um, it's just... What is it? It's like a... It's, it's reflector tape. It's halogen reflector tape, like on stop signs and stuff. Wow. So what, yeah. I guess what happens is it captures and reflects like 10,000% of the light in the room, which is uh, why it looks like that uh, in the film. And it's so simple, but mm. so effective. 
Yeah. The only two things that I want to mention too is I, I liked yeah. how the murders were cold. Like when, when what is it? Koblitz? How do you pronounce the babysitter's name? Cobritz. Cobritz. When she gets taken, I was like, so she didn't do anything. I, I remember there was a furor over Jurassic World where Zara, the babysitter, gets killed, right? <laughs> and I think maybe it's just because people hated Jurassic World, so they were trying to latch on to things. But like, I, I never understood that controversy. It's like, this happens in <laughs> horror movies all the time. Like, why are we right. upset that this one character who didn't deserve it gets such a horrible death where the babysitter in here, she gets a terrible death and she's trying to protect the kid though. She didn't do anything wrong. That's what horror yeah. movies are. Like Dan O'Bannon. Wrong place, wrong time. He, he flirts with her, but he's never like skeezy flirting with Stevie, right? Yeah. He's, he's, they have a rapport going and he gets, she has to listen to him get murdered uh-huh. and mutilated on the phone. Uh-huh. It's cruel. Horror movies are cruel. So I, I wrote that down. I was like, why are we freaking out over a babysitter getting eaten by a, <laughs> a big dinosaur when stuff like this happens? And then, the, like I said, the, the only thing that I don't, you know, it's not like a lasting horror movie, but there are some like certain things that keep it from being a classic. I, I, they keep talking about how the town is, is, is implicit in this. I thought it would have been, and they kind of hint at it, but it would have been more interesting if they brought in more townspeople to react instead of just the six people. Like you make it like mm. a town thing. You would have made it more yeah. epic in scope, I guess, instead of so limiting. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then okay. I like too how – so she's in – Stevie's in the, the lighthouse, right? But how is – when you see her, her vantage point, you see the fog like coming like over the coast, right? But how is she able to also see – like where it's going on the streets and like what street it's heading down. I never get got that shot. I'm like, how does she? <laughs> how did she know where it goes? Maybe because she's she knows all her. seeing. Yeah, all seeing so, from the lighthouse. And then the only other thing that bugged me is like, I guess she gets no closure with her son. Like she's trying to get the town. I guess she just assumes that somebody went and saved Andy. Like, do we ever? Does she ever find that out? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, but she just she gets it. off the top of that lighthouse. Yeah, wait, yeah. Tom Atkins calls the radio station and says that they have the kid. Oh, okay. oh does he? Okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Did Good. you guys even watch the movie? Bro? <laughs> Multiple times, Chris. <laughs> Multiple times. Not all of us can be so observant, Chris. That's why you're. That's why you're the, the co-host of this thing. <laughs> Someone's got to keep the line. Yeah, keep us in line. Keep us in line and and talk about the score. Oh, okay. Uh, the score, I always, dis- again, as I said in the- earlier, I've always dismissed the score as well because it- I felt like it didn't, outside of the opening theme, mm-hmm. it never felt like it had any really um, memorable moments in it for me. And in fact, the opening theme, how it crashes onto you, this... And then it kind of it gets a little quieter there as it progresses, but I always felt it's a little over the top. And then the rest of it was kind of just I don't know ancillary atmosphere background music. And again, mm-hmm. I was completely wrong when I was watching this over again, and I'm like, this this score that he's put together is brilliant because unlike I think Halloween, which I think Carpenter says, too, what he likes to focus on is riffs. And then he kind of repeats them over and over again throughout his films. This one, though, I feel is his first truly kind of ambient score. There's a lot of subtle notes, a lot of subtle textures where he's able to not just set the mood, but almost bring the fog to life. Mm. It it Mm -hmm. makes it this whole separate character. 
So it's not just the effects for me, but it's the score that does that. And this has become, I've listened to it, I think, three times in the last four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am going to be buying it now. I, all I, all yeah. I ever do is buy, I had the first score, the first thing, that was it. But now that I've listened to it through my uh, Apple Music subscription, if you want to promote on us, Apple, let us know. Uh, but still, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I was, again, so wrong about this score. Because also, as I've gotten older, I've gotten into more ambient pieces. So mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff now. Like, I'm a big Brian Eno. I'm a big fan of yeah. his work. All that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I adored the score for this film. I've, like I said, I've listened to it like four plus times, I think, in the last, no, three times in the last four days. Nice. Well, you have the, uh, from Halloween, what was it, the cue, the shape stocks, or whatever, it was just the den, den, den. Yeah. And so, but it's, I always equated that with like the John Williams but it's shark. There's like no theme. subtlety in yeah, this score yeah. early whatsoever. Right, right. But it's it's a driving theme. So you hear kind yeah. of the same thing where you see the fog or the, the lepers are, you know, they're coming for you or whatever. So it has the same. Mm. Uh, it reminded the the mood of it reminded True. me of Halloween a lot, and I, I appreciated that. But I, I do agree, like the the score is you're, it's catchy. <laughs> it is ambient, but it's very it's very memorable. Yeah, it's moody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love my moody scores. Let me tell you, yeah. <laughs> gotta love it. Gotta love it. All right, is it time for us to choose our favorite performances? Yeah, we're probably going to pick the same one. I'm betting you anything. <laughs> I don't know. Every once in a while, we get a we get a curveball. Darren, would you like to go first? Sure, I am going to pick Andy the Kid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it has to be Adrian Barbeau. It's not just that she's able to have that Christopher Reeve like Superman kind of physicality. She's yeah. the one. Like Atkins is likable. Jamie Lee Curtis is likable. Nancy Loomis mm-hmm. is likable. Janet Lee. They're all, but they're kind of one note. Um, the mm-hmm. on, the only weak link I think is maybe Hal Holbrook because he just plays that one note and it's like so dull all the way through. It's like wake up, dude! <laughs> I know you can do. Who more than stops that. reading a diary about committing murder? Yeah, seriously. Who stops? Come Who on. goes? I couldn't read any further. <laughs> no, keep reading, sir. I need to know. What a prude! So, oh. but it's like Stevie's the character. Like she gets to be everything. She gets to be the sexy yeah. voice. She gets to be the voice of reason. She gets to be the hero mm-hmm. that tells everybody where to go. It's like she is the only one. Like I said, I like everybody else. They're all likable, but she's the one that gets to be front and center and gets to have the different modes. And yeah. she sells it really well. I mean, she's she's a good lead. I know that we talked about them marketing Jamie Lee Curtis, which is you're marketing John Carpenter. That's what you want to do. But mm-hmm. you go in for the Curtis, you walk out loving the Barbeau. It's like <laughs> she controls that. And it's <laughs> I laughed a little bit because it's her at the end going, look into the darkness and watch for the fog. I'm like, well, that's no watch the skies from like the original thing. But I get where you're going <laughs> for it. So I just think that she's the one that has the most to do and makes the most impact. It's kind of a no brainer that way for me. Yeah, she's killing it. Chris, who's your favorite? I I agree with Darren that I think Barbo is the most engaging and interesting performance in the film. Uh, but I want to make an argument for Hal Holbrook. I think that unfairly maligned uh, Holbrook in this film. I think he brings, and I just did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think he brings an air of there's a there's a gravitas he brings okay. to this role. There's a, I think he helps anchor the film. I appreciate that he is. I don't know. I just enjoyed the fact that he was basically put upon by this whole curse, this whole thing throughout the entire time. I loved when he's reading the, the, the book, right? Going over the diary of everything. Yeah. And it's just, 
there's just Holbrook has this presence that I kind of find I, I kind of feel like is unquantifiable. The as the French say, that certain I don't know what, and <laughs> I just I don't know. Excellent I just, pronunciation. <laughs> I just his presence in the film is just really interesting and engaging for me. So I just I think in the end I think you're right that it's Barbo, but. I don't know. I if I had to choose one and to be contrarian and to give a second option, I would. Yeah. I would. Look at you. That's good. I, w- show, I walk it. Back. Show first. Yeah. Yes. Show first. I love it. I. Uh, yeah. I. Adrian Barbo. Like she's awesome. <laughs> uh, Stevie's a cool lady. I liked her. But yeah, I think I think everybody's great in it. There's no like obvious weak links for me. Really, my number one complaint with Hal Holbrook is how. Could he possibly resist continuing to read it? Like, man, that's got to be a page turner. You find out your grandpa killed people? What? Come on. Well, he's a man um, of God. He can't accept what his and his uh, ancestors did. That's true. It does It does feel does feel character accurate. Yeah, Chris, to your point, that is an interesting kind of arc that he's the only one that takes some responsibility for what's yeah, happening. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of just reacting, he's kind of like, yeah, maybe we deserve this. Yeah, so. yeah. He's kind of the one I think grappling with the most. So yeah. it's good stuff. But yeah, Adrian Barbo is is my favorite. But I I love the the choice of Hal Holbrook. Okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks for doing it. <laughs> so Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at seventy five percent certified fresh, and this season we are rating our films on a synth score hmm. of one to five. Uh, half synths are allowed, but nothing smaller than a half. So no three point <laughs> seven seven. No. Like <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, that's a good. There, synth. there is a there's a limit to how small you can divide a synth. Um, <laughs> that's it, Chris. Yeah. What's your rating? Pew pew. pew. I'm gonna go four. <laughs> four. I okay. I, I enjoyed the fog. I think it's. It's tale of a gla- of a classic ghost story that I think is still it's a movie of its time, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with the uh, number number four, four, four for episode four. There you go. I like it. <laughs> what's like funny it. is I thought I was gonna be able to come up with something really funny there as a joke, and I just my brain <laughs> came up empty. I rolled snake eyes, and I just kind of stumbled through the whole thing. So. Four. Four is good. As they say in uh, German, quattro. <laughs> wow, I didn't know Chris spoke this many languages. <laughs> yeah, he's he's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I struggled on my score. I waffled back and forth between a three and a three and a half. Um, the parts I like, I really like. There's just not enough story in this movie for me. They only want to kill leopard ghost no. pirates and not no. enough story for you. This is this is a fantastic story for a Twilight Zone episode. Huh. Like this is a really awesome thirty minute episode. They only want to kill six victims. That's kind of limiting to me on how scary it can be. Why? Like why not take out the whole town? Like exponentially, those six people. You know, it could be more than just it's the whole town, right? The whole town profited off of their death. It doesn't just have to be six people. So. That was kind of a problem for me. And also, I think it just kind of stalls at the end. Again, the parts that I like, I really, really like. But I feel like it's dragging its feet to the finish. And both times I watched it, 
I started to fall asleep hmm. during the finale, even though the finale Bro. is really tense. Ah. And here's the thing. <laughs> I watched it at night. I watched it during the day. Both times, I was like nodding off during that finale because that final kind of scene where we're going back and forth between the church and Stevie on top of the lighthouse, for me, it probably goes on like 30% too long. And that's the part where I kept falling asleep. Uh, but I feel like, again, like we're dragging our feet to get to theatrical run. And so I had to to take some points off for that. I think in general, though, I'm going to go three and a half out of five and not a three because three feels not nice enough. But it's it's tense. It's beautiful. It's a great script. But there's just not quite enough movie for me. So three and a half out of five. Sorry, I, I nodded off. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. This episode discussion. is a three and a half out of five is what I'm hearing. It's what I'm hearing from you. Uh, <laughs> Darren. What is your rating for The Fog? Well, I, I didn't, first of all, I didn't plan on, like, matching your score, Lady Juan, and I didn't plan on, like, <laughs> making Chris, like, feel bad or, like, he's the dissenter. But, like, 3.5 is a good, it's a good, adequate description of this movie. It's, it does its job. Like, if you mm-hmm. want to go in and it's 90 minutes and it scares you and it's it's kind of, it's fun being scared because you can tell what they're doing. And that's that's yeah. what you want. Like, even, but when you walk out, there's no lasting power like i said it's like i agree with at the end because instead of being like a horror movie and like unanswered questions or what makes it so eerie it becomes like a countdown like if if they can mm-hmm. just save them before and the, so that's what you're kind of into that's what's kind of involving you so it's not really scary so much as you're just waiting for that plot to kind mm-hmm. of wrap up i think that there are some like logic issues that they kind of like tick off because it's paranormal that kind of thing or the idea that it's it's not it's very limiting as far as the characters, instead of like having a wider scope and having more meaning, those are kind of flaws, but not, I don't really count them as like negatives against the movie. It's just, this movie does what it needs to do. And that's Mm -hmm. it. Like it doesn't do more than that. So that's why I think 3.5 is a good solid kind of synth score for that, because it's like (laughs) this, it it shows that's the type of movie it is. If you want to have a movie that goes further, watch the thing, watch Halloween, watch Mm -hmm. movies that are going to go that extra extra mile instead of just being a good ghost story and and that's it so there you go chris you're wrong um (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding okay so john carpenter is pretty pretty open about the fact that some of his movies are just a job so this season as we are rating the movies on our synth synth scale that is so hard to say (laughs) we are also rating the film on a scale of zero to ten how many fucks did John Carpenter give about the making of this film? I don't like that word. <laughs> I know you don't, but I am going to have profanity all of the time, Chris. This is what you get when you get the lady one. Okay? Okay? Mm-hmm. Chris, how many fucks did John Carpenter give about making the fog? I still feel he's all in on this one. I mean, the fact that he sat down after watching says, nope, this didn't work. We got to fix this thing. Uh, I you think ten. Yeah, 10 I, th- I think okay. so. I think he's one hundred percent invested in trying to make this thing work. Is he always successful with it? Maybe not, but I think when you take the film for what it's supposed to be, the spirit in which it was made, I think it's a success. So yeah, I'm gonna go uh, ten out of ten on the fudge scale. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love forcing you to do this. Darren, 
How many fucks do you think John Carpenter gave about making That's the fog? Like a knife in my ear. I know, and I'm saying it like harder because I know it bothers you. Well, here's my thing, and if you allow me to get philosophical for just a sec, I'm sorry I keep doing oh, yes. this, but like I think he is all in. I think he's this is a this is a ten. Like he, just the fact that it's okay. I always thought that it was the studio that forced on him that he needed to go back and do the research, the reshoots. So seeing and hearing these stories about how he was the one that looked at it and said, this isn't working. This isn't what I wanted. I think that shows you that he is invested and he's not just willing to kind of brush it off. He's wanting to make a good movie here. But the other thing, too, is I think Deborah Hill has a huge impact on this. I don't know if, like, you guys have talked about this in your previous episodes mm-hmm. or how much you'll talk about it later, but... The fact that Deborah Hill is there and she's his guiding force and his partner and they're working together um, to make sure it happens. Like in Halloween, she wrote all the the girl stuff and he wrote all the pretentious (laughs) stuff, that kind of thing. They're working together to create this image. And I think the, the, you know, the, the, the more movies that he made after Deborah Hill died or got sick or wasn't involved, that's, that's where he stopped being involved. That's where he stopped like caring in a way. I think Deborah Hill kept him interested and, and and kept those that that those engines running and so i i don't know i think that's a big part of why he's still invested at this point as opposed to later yeah. when he doesn't have her looking over his shoulder that's true that's a, that's a great point mm-hmm. i think he gave nine fucks uh <laughs> <laughs> like i said it's a very cool story great effects he's getting great performances out of his actors all of them um but again there's just like not quite enough here and i do appreciate that he went back and added things and and kind of put in a couple scenes here and there to to fill out the story but there's still not quite enough story for me and he didn't give that one extra fuck to come up with a little bit more so so i'm giving it i i think it was nine from him that's my guess is it was nine nine out of ten that's still Still invested. A, yeah. Yeah. Very, very. So your, your your issue is that he wasn't concerned enough for a person who wasn't even born when the film was made? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why he wasn't okay. thinking about me before my parents had met. <laughs> Just like knowing that he was going to actually, I, I got to say though, I've been having trouble sleeping lately. So this was like really nice that Here's I was nice- like. Not this isn't gonna work but we used to do this in college this little visual cue all right here's okay. lady one yeah and here are all the planets revolving <laughs> i think you just called her the sun she's not going to take that as a negative you can see it in her face she certainly thinks so <laughs> That insult doesn't work on the people who it's relevant for. Yeah. So you're just like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, Chris, you're right. <laughs> and I was all I like, I do keep you all warm. I was all like, oh, I'm Neptune. <laughs> I'd be Jupiter, the gas giant. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I love how we're back in elementary school. <laughs> okay, I think. We've covered everything here. I had a blast having you here, Darren. Oh, this yeah, was so I, fun. Well, let's let's pump the brakes. <laughs> I want to ask Darren Chris, a question. again, you, you criticize that I can't end the show. And every time I've been good at ending the show, you interrupt me. <laughs> well, maybe because I don't want it to end yet. All right, I go ahead, Chris. Talk, go ahead, Chris. I, I think we may have been remiss. Drive the car. In talking to Darren, I want a little bit more about the nostalgia cast. For a That's one what I was going to do. Damn seconds. <laughs> 
Yeah, let me talk about me for a second. Jeez. On this fine young gentleman. That's what this part is for. Because yes. <laughs> I listened I to his Flash Gordon episode, which is a film I have a lot of affection for. Mm. And I feel Darren and I could actually be friends. I get that. With some of the things he said. I get that. Uh, particularly his love for a certain band called Queen, mm-hmm. which is actually my favorite band. Mine too. Uh, Mine but too. Also, uh, so, and then, but he also dropped, he's talking about his mom making mixtapes for him. Mm-hmm. And um, he mentions one of my other favorite bands growing up, which is Foreigner, which I do not hear often mm. as what people actually say out loud uh so i i now i don't know his affection level for foreigner but the fact that he didn't mention it made filled my cold dead heart with uh warmth for a split second so but what breakdown so how what is the format what is nostalgia cast about and then i want to know what your favorite queen album is okay so. Well, let me get the Queen thing out of the way. That I'm sorry, it's a cheat. It's greatest hits. If we're not going for Flash Gordon, it's got to be because that's got a little bit of everything. So I, I just like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway. So a nostalgia cast. It's my friend and I, Johnny. And I'm, I'm again. I apologize for the Flash Gordon episode. And no, he wasn't quite on board with that. You don't have to be friends with him. Being friends with me is good. <laughs> but we basically take these movies that we loved as kids, like Flash Gordon, and we watch them through adult eyes to see if they still work on us as adults. If they say more, if they say a lot less. And so we just take. I think there's a danger. We all talk about nostalgia. I think there's a danger in that where you are letting the nostalgia kind of blind you for. So if if you're looking at like the attitudes towards sex during the 80s, if you look at like how they treated homosexuals, like the slurs that they use, like if we're nostalgic for for movies that we're able to just brush it off, like that kind of language, I think that's a problem. I think it's a problem if you're so nostalgic for the original Ghostbusters that when they make a remake with women, your first instinct is to get onto social media and threaten those women's lives. I well, think, come on. There are no girl ghosts. <laughs> all right. Well, see, you're making a logical stance. You're not going, well, they should all die. I, I didn't hear that come out of your voice. So that's what I'm talking about. And then what happens? They can't They can't bust ghosts every 28 days or something? They, <laughs> they got to take a couple days off. That's the problem. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. It's like the nostalgia can be a little bit dangerous. We so we want to kind of okay. tackle those. And yeah, Flash Gordon or, or Popeye is another one where I wasn't really able to assess really if it's a bad movie or not. Just because everything that I'm nostalgic for, I'm still nostalgic mm-hmm. for. So it can be good, it can be bad. So we're basically taking these movies and and seeing if how they've changed or if we've changed around them. And then this season, um, which again we've had Lady Wan on already. Uh, we've recorded an episode, but we haven't released it yet. But we're taking like 90s movies that we love, that Johnny and I cut our teeth on all these 90s movies. We're taking a look and instead of trying to figure we're talking about why these movies work so well even today and yeah. why they excited us. So again, it's the nostalgia, but it's not just nostalgia if it works. So that's basically what we do. We, we try to tackle these things head on. And talking about Foreigner, I mean, how do you not know I, I want to know what love is? <laughs> how do you not know that song? Well, I yeah, I mean, there was a I was very precocious teen, uh, even younger than that, and I was big softy. I don't know if it was, was my favorite song for like four or five years of my life, like from like twelve to like uh, fifteen or something like that. So, Aww. And then just to let you know, my favorite Queen song is a kind of magic, and because they didn't oh, nice. they didn't play that during Bohemian Rhapsody, that's why I think that movie is a piece of shit. <laughs> I have a lot of complaints with that film myself. It's a lot of problems with that piece of fiction. <laughs> That's right. 
What, but, what uh, a yeah. day that was in <laughs> Freddie Mercury's life where he went and told his parents and then he went to the concert and he made it all over London without any traffic. <laughs> Just, just really that one day in general, just like infuriated me. No, I'm sorry. That, that's weird. That's trivial, Lady One. It, it's that's the, like... it's the fact that they didn't have a kind of magic, or they didn't show the making of Flash Gordon. That's why the movie's terrible. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm staunch on this. That's why. I like the one point too, where they're they're playing a concert, and the, and during the concert scene, they're playing a song that wouldn't be written for like two more years. <laughs> Oh yeah, I wish that was fun. But yeah, uh, yeah little things like that. I, I get you're gonna you're gonna take a little you know leeway, leeway with certain things. But uh, yeah, as a queen, it's a whole lot fan, of fans. A lot man. of the stuff in that bother me. Anyway, uh, that's our that's our sidebars. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, the kind yeah. of I would not have predicted that to kind of get us back on track. The last thing I wanted to say, I have looked up what yeah. fog is. Lady one, if you want to, what is fog? Fog. I'm getting this from Wikipedia. Fog is a visible aerosol. Battle consisting of tiny water droplets or ice crystals suspended in the air at or near the Earth's surface. Fog can be considered a type of low-lying cloud, usually resembling stratus, and is heavily influenced by nearby bodies of water, topography, and wind conditions. So, no more questions about what fog is. You know what it now is. Now I know. And it is precipitation. There's water droplets in there. So, yeah, yeah. I wasn't completely wrong. Right. They, um, I do want to go edit the Wikipedia article though, and mention that it can be influenced by ghostly lepers <laughs> as well, because <laughs> they did not include that. I want, well. I, I wanted to then, um, Darren, I'll add one, ask one thing of you, make a, a humble request okay. at some point. If you ever dive back into older stuff, if I could possibly guest on your show, one thing I'm very looking forward to is next month. Highlander comes out in 4K, okay. which I have already pre-ordered. If you ever wanted to do a Highlander episode, hit me up. Or if you want something for the... I, I'm not as big on the 90s stuff because I was... I don't know. The, my nostalgia is 80s because that's when I grew up mm-hmm. was uh, the 80s. But if you need a 90s guy and you want somebody to talk like about The Shadow, I could do that. I, always, mm-hmm. I like that film, but I haven't watched it in 20 years. Uh, whatever the case may be, I'm basically just desperate to make friends. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, the problem with that is, like, Lady Wan, when it was mentioned, oh, maybe I can come on your show. I'm like, well, too bad. That's not a, like, you're coming on. Like, you can't mention something. So so I'll, I'll get you for Highlander, get you for The Shadow. Those are two movies that we've actually been Ooh. thinking about. Count it. Tackling. Count it. There you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You <laughs> yes, want You want to try and you. close things out? Let's, what do you got? Are you going to interrupt me? We'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, see how this goes. So thank you, Darren. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for discussing the fog. Thank you for informing me of what fog actually is. <laughs> uh, so everybody, go listen to Nostalgia Cast. Follow Darren on Twitter at DW Lundberg. Please give Screen Run a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Screen Run. Chris is at CG Scalzo, and I am at the Lady One. We did it. We talked about the fog. Hey. And next episode. We're finally getting some Kurt Russell. We're going to discuss Escape from New York. Oh, yay. More Tom Atkins. <laughs> Is he a sex yeah. god in Escape from New York? No, he's really not in it that much. Oh. I, don't, I don't remember. Then don't what's really great about that? I just like his presence. Does he, does he get a sleep <laughs> just, with Snake Plissken? At least? Oh. I don't recall. Oh. I, I'll, oh. to, I'll find out in beautiful Maybe it's in 4K, the, 4K yeah. in a couple weeks. All right. Maybe it's in the subtext. <laughs> There's like an implied. We'll be watching for that. We will be watching for that. So thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time.
I finished. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> <laughs>